Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork. And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person. Do you want to know about a site that's so good you'll stock your entire wine collection with it? Wine Access. They're the sponsor of this podcast. Go to wineaccess.com slash normal. Join my wine club, support them as they support us, and listen in the middle of the show for more details. As I told you in episode 337, Antonio Cabaldo is the chairman of Feodi di San Gregorio in the Irpinia region of Campania in southern Italy. And this is part of our continuing coverage of my trip there. Antonio is a businessman. He has a master's in management and economics from the London School of Economics, a PhD in economics and finance from a joint program between LSE and the University of Rome. He worked at McKinsey, he was a partner, and then the calling came. His family brought him back into wine and he started to run Feodi di San Gregorio. Now we detail his story and the basics of the region in episode 337. So. We're going to leave that and talk about some different things, because after being in the region with Antonio and having some really interesting conversations, I wanted to have him back on the show to talk about the progress of the region and to talk in more detail about Feodi. So, Antonio, thank you for hosting me when I was in Irpinia. Thank you for taking me to your ancient vineyard in Tarazi and helping me make introductions to all these great producers in the area. And welcome back to the show. So, Elizabeth, thank you very much for having me. It was a real pleasure to have you in your opinion. And let me say that the description of my CV looks beautiful on paper, but it's not a warranty of a good winemaker. So let's hope I convince your listeners of the opposite. I think all they need to do is open a bottle and they've got that down. What's been going on the last couple of years? You know, I mean, nothing's been happening in the world over the last couple of years, right? There wasn't a pandemic or anything. So what's been happening at Feodi since Uh we... These were three quite, you know, normal years. That's not what we're used to, both internally as a community of people working together in the winery or when facing the market issues in export and also the domestic market. So there were three quite challenging years. On our side, there were two major things we did. I think on one end, this was a good time to think. I think it was good for everybody. I think maybe we got, after the pandemic, we got as dumb as we were before, probably. But we got some time to think in the two years <laughs> we were partially stuck at home or more restricted in travels. And I think we treasured this time to make sure that all our strategic actions were enforced. And when I talk about that, I mostly talk about all the programs we do for ensuring the best quality of the wines. So Fergus Tuvudi, our parcel wine program, or the old vines protection heritage, this is also something we work a lot on. So basically, we spent the last three years trying to streamline our priorities and understanding that this would make the difference in the future. So we could work on that. The second thing we have been really focusing on the last uh, three years has been to try to put in a structured program our sustainability practices that we've been working over the past 20 years in a more structured and organic program that allowed us to become a B Corp, I think now one year ago. This was also something I'm quite proud, not of the certification itself, but of the work that we did to get to the certification. Yeah, I want you to talk about that because it is unusual in the wine world 
Are you the only B Corp winery in all of Italy? I think in Italy there are three, one in Veneto, one in Puglia and us. And now a fourth one, Casca del Merita in Sicily is joining. So there should be four. In the world, there are around 50 producers, one largest country to all. Then you have EPI Group, the Champagne Group in France, and there are others. So it's quite unusual. Can you explain what it is for people that don't know what a B Corp is and what you had to do? Because it is a lot of work. And I think this is where your business background comes into play because it does take a lot of strategy and planning in order to make this happen, right? Let's take a step back. First of all, I believe in general that certifications, they shouldn't be a pain to get to. So they should they should quite naturally reflect what you've been doing as a winer. You know, there is always an effort as a winer, as a company, there is always an effort that you have to do to get the thing done and present it in a compelling and a structured way. But this should be the reflection of your efforts. Otherwise, after a couple of years, you lose the certification and it is quite useless effort. You shouldn't do it for marketing reason. You shouldn't do it just for getting a medal on your chest and say, okay, I got this certification. So this one specifically, what I like about this is that there is one statement behind a B Corp, which is a private movement led by companies themselves. One of the most famous one is Patagonia, that is this company that tries in any way possible to prevent you from buying new products from them and try to restore <laughs> the old ones. So there is an idea behind this that a company can be a positive force for the community, which doesn't mean that you're not for profit. You are for profit, but then part of your mission is not just producing profit for your shareholders, but to create value for the whole community and stakeholders around the company. This may seem very simple, but actually it's quite complicated in reality, but it's also quite natural. Naturally, in particular in agriculture, but also in other, other realms, when you work as a company, you have every day the opportunity of making things that are positive for the people around you that probably don't cost you anything, or that anyway, the benefit from the people around you largely outweighs the cost for the company. A big corp is a company that actively pursues these opportunities and tries to work in a synergic environment with the community around. For us in agriculture and viticulture, it's quite natural to do something like that because we have to work with the community of growers, with our fellow producers, with our community within the company. We are there for the long term because in the wine business, that's the key. I mean, if you start this business, I mean, Filipino Chile used to write that it takes two centuries for turning wine business profitable. So actually she said, the wine business is a positive thing, is a profitable thing after the first two centuries. So you're, you're there wow. for the long term. So you need hey, to- Hey, the new world's in big trouble then, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is what my dad told me when I started this. So he gave me this book and he told me just to be patient, basically, because I was coming, as you said, from another real, so finance, you tend to be quite impatient and you tend to consider time as a cost of wine in our wonderful wine industry. Time is a value. And this is a change of perspective that you need to give to yourself and to the people around you. So basically, when you think that you can be a positive force, then the step forward is that you need to do a set of actions to do this seriously and to try to progressively improve. So if you do something one year, you shouldn't go back the following year. So that's where the certification comes in and the points that you need to score can see. So B Corp, in a way, values companies against an enormous set of criteria, and you need to get 80 points out of 200. 1% of the companies that apply make it because it's quite challenging, oh as you said. Yeah. Your impact is measured against several things. Now, one of them is, of course, what everybody is knowledgeable about is 
can you make organic farming? Do you do sustainable farming? Et cetera, et cetera. So there's one part that is, of course, your viticultural and agricultural practice. But then there are so many other things that in viticultures can impact their ecosystem. The first thing is that sustainability towards your employees, how much you pay them, how much respectful you are of diversity and all the things that matter in every industry. You should matter also in wine. Secondly, is how much to your profit you devote to community-oriented initiatives, such as local foundation, art, culture, all the things that can help the community to get elevated. Then third is how you are with your renewable energies, the consumption of water and all the other natural resources. So it's a quite composite set of criteria that you have to meet. And I think what's more, and then I close my answer, which was quite long, but I'm Italian, so you have to excuse me, it's that <laughs> you have to take a holistic view on, of the impact. That's, I think, is the real value of this certification. And this is why so many companies are now trying to apply, is that sustainability cannot just be if you are organic in the vineyards, because it does depend on you, but partially depends on the terroir you are, and just capture exclusively one aspect. B Corp, B Lab takes a stance of 360 degrees of how you work in every aspect of your company. And also the criteria, every three years you have to recertificate and the criteria are set against the best companies in the B Corp community. So actually you're fighting in a way, you're running against the best. And that is also the other thing I love. So the certification itself, I mean, I care of course, but it's a mean for us to get a structured approach towards, you know, sustainability and impact and to try to improve ourselves every year and learn the best practices from all the companies around the world. That's really important to look outside of the wine industry. That's one of the biggest problems that I see also coming from, I think we talked about this in the first show, coming from outside the wine industry, you see all of these things that the wine industry could learn from other industries and they never do. So it's nice to look at that in another way also. But I do want to talk about Irpinia because you do have some set advantages over a lot of other regions in the world in the sense that there's already this built-in sense of biodiversity. I feel a little bit ignorant because when you go to wine regions around Italy and especially around France, all you see are vineyards. There's no forest. There might be like a little sprig of forest where the rest is all vineyards. In Bordeaux, there's barely a tree to be seen anywhere in a vineyard. And you have this. This is such a big, big deal in Irpinia. Also, it's not very big. So the idea of giving back to the community, I feel like you all are very connected with each other in a way that a lot of other regions aren't. Am I wrong about this? The way that all of you approach sustainability is like you're already halfway there in general in the region. Do you think that's true or am I wrong about that? No, no, I mean, you're, you're, you're true. You're true specifically because I think that there are two factors. One is that there is a natural biodiversity that you touched on when you when you started your question. No, I think when you visit your vineyard, you see how fragmented and parceled out the vineyards because you find many other cultivation around the vines and there is no intense viticulture, which means that the soils were respected, which means that the ecosystem was respected. And this is something that mostly because of the relative success of the wines that are not particularly popular internationally, we were lucky <laughs> because this biodiversity was preserved. In the time where nobody cared about it. Now it's a treasure. So I honestly think that we were lucky about that. That's true. The second thing that you still find in Epinia that is quite unusual in Europe, at least, and I'm sure also in the US, is that you actually have the real farmers, the real ones, the ones that really work on the land. 
and they make out of what they do in the land, they live out of it. And generally in Europe, in particular in Western Europe, this type of job almost disappeared. And if you have a farmer, you have wisdom, you have tradition, and you have the backbone of a community. So it's much easier to get the community together if the basic part of the community, in particular in the viticulture or agriculture, is there. So the real farmers that can keep the tradition alive. Then you can think about long-term projects, be visionary, all the things that we like to do as producers, but because you are lucky to have the foundations right, biodiversity and also human roots that are quite strong in my region. And people who love the region, the pride of place is huge. This is another thing that I find really interesting. More than any other place I've ever been, everyone talks about the past and the present and the future. So if you go on almost any Italian website, they say the same exact thing. Every single Italian website says innovation and tradition. Every single one. This is the tagline. There's no deviating from it. But this is a little bit different because in Erpenia, it seems like there's this legacy and everybody is working on these projects of really getting deep into the legacy and the old ways of doing things and tying them with the new ways of doing things. And Feodi Studi is the project that you're doing that I think really exhibits that. You're using a bottle from the 17th century. You're doing this deep dive into the land. Can you talk about why this is such a special project? The wines are spectacular. And I'm sorry, listeners, it's a little hard to get your hands on these, but they are worth it if you can find them. Yeah, Elizabeth, it's a complex question. Oh, the one you're, I mean, talking about further study, I will do it in a minute. But the question that you pose is broader. But the relationship between tradition and innovation, for instance, for me, for Feudi, is a little bit different probably than just saying we, we live on a great tradition, but we want to innovate it. We are, because of what you said, I mean, we are really deeply rooted in our tradition. So tradition is part of us. It's not something that we say, okay, we respect our tradition. No, it's us. And yes. when we speak, and, and that's the, also the relationship between time, past, present, and future. For me, what captures most is not really the dichotomy, tradition, innovation, it's the relationship between wine and art, something we can talk about later. Because yes, I want to talk about that, yes. The way to, to, way to structure our relationship with time has a lot to do with an artistic vision rather than just a, an historic vision. But let me get back to Feldy Studi. Feldy Studi is a project that we started over 10 years ago. It's a micro parcel application process project, adding so many small vineyards that we spoke about in a previous podcast. But at Feldy, we have uh, 800 parcel to make our own 300 hectares. So average parcel is less than an hectare. This gives an incredible potential for single vineyards. But the problem, of course, is that it's complicated to communicate that. However, we decided that we were too frustrated to do just one wine or two wines out of each varietal. And we decided to do this collection of single vineyards from some specific vineyards that we like most for their expression of the characteristics of our incredible varietals. And we do, but in small batches. No? So we do four wines, four Greco, four Fiano, and four Taurasi every year in less than 2,000 bottles. And we keep them as a winery, as educational wines that can express the diversity of each varietal and the potential of each varietal, also in terms of longevity, you know, because we store them and also the whites have incredible longevity. This is a way to study because there is no better way than actually making and drinking the wines out of a parcel to study really the parcels. There is another reason 
that I can mention when we talk about how important is our tradition and the traditional practices. Just, there are many projects that we do also on a viticultural standpoint in order to understand how to better tackle our climate change. Now, in particular, in the Greco di Tufo area, there is a project that we're doing with the University of Naples. This project is called Greece. Greece is like the movie now because Greece mm-hmm. starts with GRE, this is Greco. Now, so I don't like the acronym, and sorry for that. <laughs> the university decided to call it Greece. But what we are finding out is that very simple result and probably obvious, but that the old way of cultivating the Greco, which is a, some sort of pergola, is way more effective to tackle unexpected climate events than cordon or griot. That's amazing, though. It is. So and, everybody, and without caring about it, you would just keep doing how you're doing. The problem is that it's not particularly productive. The problem is that everybody's telling you that you need to adjust to international standard. The problem is that all the external people tell you that guyot is better, blah, blah, blah. But actually, all the guyot that have been done in the region, we also, not from Feudi, but for everybody, we are turning them in a mixed guyot pergola. So in a way that leaves anyway cover better the grape in particular in the summer and we keep the grape a little bit higher because when it rains in October with the guillot or cordon the grape is too close to the ground and you immediately right. up and the skill is very thin for Greco and then you lose the grape. When we presented the results of this study to our farmers, our growers, I always remember that there was like 50 people in the room and we were so proud because we have been working on that for like five years, probably good, good five years about this project. I remember one of our growers raised his hands and said, Mr. Antonio, can I talk? And he said, yeah, of course you can talk. And he told me, you know what? You spend a lot of money with the university, but I could have told you that for free <laughs> five years ago because I knew that. And that's, I think, in some sort, the fact that we have this, uh, pe- these people and we also have the vines cultivated under all techniques is the best gateway for our future. That's why it's so important in Erpinia because we have remains of the past they work very, very well, and they're probably going to work even better in the future, in the most challenging future, in particular, in terms of climate. I think that people should go to Campania. If you really want to understand Italian viticulture that is not a reed in the wind, you do not blow with the times. You think about Piedmont. They had the Barolo boys. They had this fight about oak. They constantly are fighting about the best ways to cultivate the land. You see this in Tuscany also. Veneto has its own mess. And then in Campania, there is not that at all. You make the wines the way that they are made. And you don't use international grapes. You never have. It really is true Italian viticulture. I don't know of any world-class region that has not bent with the times except Irpinia. I can't think of anybody else. Maybe Champagne. Champagne has not really wavered. But most everybody else, Robert Parker came along and they did this. And you guys have just not done that. It's really amazing. How do you keep improving and stay focused? Well, I think we're lucky, you know, because it's very pure. All of our wines are single varietal wines. Every of our DOCG, Fiano, Greco, and Doyazi, Doyazi, of course, is made of Avellianico, they don't overlap. So it means that the farmer historically planted Greco where it belonged, Fiano where it belonged, and Italianico where it belonged without being influenced by either the DOCG protocol or whoever journalist was telling them what to do. And that's the beauty of it. That is, is incredible. I mean, how we can keep improving that? I think there are two things. One is that the future of Pina wines actually is mostly in getting a, a deeper knowledge 
of individual parcels potential, such as Ferdi studies. So the subzones, the subzones of the appellation, this is where we need to focus in the future. And secondly, I think there is a lot you can do yeah, anyway in improving the style of the wines you make in order to emphasize more and more the primary elements of the varieties. So there is some dispute about all Quinteras. We can work on that. And also there is a there is something we can do on the temperature of fermentation of our whites in order to loosen all the exotic aromas that don't belong to our area that are mostly related to fermentation temperature. And this is something that the region is improving into. So fully endorsing our uniqueness is something we can improve. And it's easy, actually, if you don't follow you know, what some people that say that the market is going there, the market is much wiser than the market experts. The market is looking for curious, genuine, and original things, and we can offer all of that. Actually, yes. some market experts are telling you, no, no, you should do the wines like other regions and just name them differently. And I think this is not something we need to push. And luckily, the region is going in that direction. I think the other thing is, when you think about that vineyard that you took me to, and I will post pictures if you missed it on social media or on Patreon, but these vineyards are pre-phylloxera. They have plant matter that you will not see anywhere else, and they're structured in this crazy way. And instead of just saying, okay, well, we have this vineyard, it's hard to cultivate, it is on pergola, you're taking plant matter from it and cultivating new vineyards from it, the rootstock and all. Can you talk about that vineyard? Because I think the old vine Tarazi vineyard is emblematic of the wine culture of Campania. It is like, we're not going to tear this down. Somebody could have just pulled all that up, but they didn't do it, you know? Yeah, I mean, this vineyard is in the center of Tarazi town. It's called very close to Tarazi town. It's called the Vigneto d'Avri, Vineyard of the King. We make a serpip, our single vineyard, the Prefilosera Agnani, out of it. But most importantly, we use, as you said, all the genetic material to replant our new Agnianico vineyards, which means that we don't have our viticulture of Agnianico made out of one of two or few clones, but we have several natural biotypes that survived over time that proved to be quite successful in living by over the past 150 years in our new vineyards. Consider that probably these vines were planted in the 1870s, so at the end of the 19th century, everybody can think of the history back in time of what was happening in the 1870s. But uh, honestly, for us, the most interesting thing is not just the wine that comes out of it, but the possibility that this vineyard gives us to make uh, our historic viticulture survive. There is also one element that for me is worth mentioning is that every year the grapes that come from these vineyards are the best. And mm -hmm. the, the vineyard that was not meant at all to produce quality now because the viticultural method was, you know, we do a high pergola so that you can plant other vegetables on the ground. So it's not, it's not meant to with high yield viticulture in a way, pergola system. Now the yield reduced, so was the plant reduced their own yield over time. So now the yield is very low and it's a self-decision by the plant. There is nothing we need to do any year. We don't need to take out leaves. We don't need to do green harvest. They self-regulate and they produce the best quality. And when you are in it, it's very charming. Now you remember, you feel like- Oh my gosh, in, it's- I, You feel like I'll in a labyrinth. i never forget that. Yeah. Never, ever forget that. Yes. I want to come back when it's full of leaves because you said that that's even exactly. cooler. Exactly. Take that, a picture it, for me. 
I know I've been doing a lot of coverage on Italy lately, and I hope that, like me, you never tire of it. The different perspectives are so interesting, although I do see a lot of connection between last week's episode with Ava Martinelli and this week's episode with Antonio Cabaldo, even though they are in very different situations and in very different regions, just talking about kind of the power structure in Italy and some of the challenges. I think it's a really cool side. That's why I'm presenting it to you. I hope you love the show. Obviously, I adore Antonio and he has become a friend. So he will be on the show again. And I hope that you'll seek out the wines of Feodi di San Gregorio, along with the other wines of Campania, which are so delicious. And one place you can do that is at Wine Access. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. That's going to take you to a page of my favorite picks, which I am about to update. But even more exciting, the Wine for Normal People Wine Access Wine Club has dropped in price to $150 a shipment, which is six bottles. And the one that's coming up is Serge Duray all day. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you know Serge Duray is a dear friend of mine. He is an importer of French wines. The wines that he has in his portfolio are impeccable. And we're going to be presenting an entire shipment of these wines that are not available really almost anywhere else. Sign up today. Go to wineaccess.com slash normal and sign up for the wine club. You don't want to miss this. And you also don't want to miss all of the other shipments that we have upcoming. You'll get four a year. It's $150. That includes shipping. Let me just say, I spoke to a patron this week who said, I have a little wine access problem. She had to buy a new refrigerator just to accommodate all the bottles of wine access that she has gotten because it really is that great. Check it out today. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. You'll get 10% off your first order and join the wine club. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. Wine notes that I write, videos on each of the wines. And if you're a patron, you get a special patron video hangout. And I think this time we may have a special guest for that. Don't forget also about Patreon, P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com slash wine for normal people is how you will gain access to so much great information. I looked the other day, there's over a thousand posts really for 22 US dollars a year. It ensures that we can continue to keep doing this podcast. Patreon is our bread and butter. It's how we survive along with wine access. So please think about supporting your favorite podcast, patreon.com slash wine for normal people. And New classes are launching this week. I know I keep saying that, but I've been on vacation in Portugal. Sorry. I am back and back to work. Chardonnay around the world. Wines of Loire coming up. And we're going to have some other really great ones. So stay tuned. Go to winefornormalpeople.com slash classes. And now let's get back to the show. I have these pictures of you. The pictures that I posted had a picture of you standing near one of the vines just to show the scale That's what people thought was so interesting, that vines could do that. So many of these producers who got wiped out by phylloxera, they would love to have that old vine matter, and you have it. It really is amazing that Europinia is this living history of a vineyard, and the wine that comes out of that vineyard is delicious. It's so unique. It tastes unlike anything else. Like you said, the wine is the legacy. The wine is the land. It's more than a slogan. Another thing that I really found so fascinating is you can make so many different styles from Fiano, Greco, and Alianico. So do you feel like 
you are constantly learning about new ways to make these three grapes, that the permutations are endless? No, I, I mean, honestly, the real path is what I was saying before, is selecting more and more single vineyards to do that, mm -hmm. or expressing more the intensity or the extremes and the variability, diversity potential of each varietal. Now, I think techniques, we fixed that once we got the right technology. The style is the same. The difference is the grapes. And the fact that before we blended more than what we do today. Today, we do more single vineyards. We separate everything at the winery. So we keep studying every single parcel separately. And I think this is where in the future we can continue improving the purity of our region. Okay, so we mentioned the art and the combination of wine and art, especially in the region. First of all, your winery is a piece of art. Thanks. And everything in it is artistic and beautiful. The restaurant is beautiful. The guest house is beautiful. Everything that you have is so thoughtful. But it's not just you. There are a lot of people in Irpinia who have art. They have art installations. Or Roberto De Meo, who I visited, has a bunch of original art in his smaller winery. Could you explain that connection? Because I think that when that's presented to people, they sometimes think, well, that's nice. I think even I, when I went to Bordeaux, because there's so much art there also, I didn't really get it. And then I kept talking to people and now I do feel that I understand it. But can you explain that deep connection between art and wine? Hey, first of all, I get back to the connection in a second. Art is something central to our B Corp or Benefit Corporation program because through art, we try to create uh, something meaningful for the community because every two years we invite a contemporary artist to do a piece of art for the winery and to do a special edition bottle and all the proceeds go to a local foundation fighting social disadvantage through art and culture. So every artistic piece is site-specific and most of the time our people are depicted in it in a way or another, the people working at the winery. So it's also a way to keep the community of the winery together, which is important. But the connection between wine and art is something I, I'm so sure, as you say, you share this with other producers of the area. It comes from the big importance of time that you mentioned before when you said we really have an incredible legacy in your opinion. For me, the wine is somehow a little piece of art. You know, we, we work with our heritage, such an artist does, with our past, with the roots. We work today to create something, like the artist does a piece of art, but we create it for the people of tomorrow that are going to, in our case, drink it, or in the case of a piece of art, enjoy it. Now, so it's, this travel through time is something that wine and art share. And the, the importance of our artistic program is also to make the people working in the wine, in the wine production, proud of what they do. Because sometimes the commercial side of the wine is taking over so that sometimes you forget that there is nature, art, expertise, long time, big investment behind that. So this artistic program is also a way to rebalance, which is important, I think, in every winery, the relationship between the wine production, the relationship with nature, and the part of the trade of the wine that sometimes can take over and should not take over every day. And I think it's so much a part of the Italian culture too. Everywhere you go, in Italy, there's beauty and there's history. And I think that it's just part of the culture to celebrate that. But the fact that you continue that tradition, that it's not just, okay, well, 
there's Pompeii, and then there's all of the things in Rome that you see every, I mean, it's it's a little crazy if you think about it. You could walk by the Colosseum. You live in Rome for most of your days and spend some time at the winery also, but you see that stuff every day. And I'm sure that it's just part of you. We don't, yeah, we, we don't see we that every day. <laughs> yeah, we are very lucky about that. And we should try to, in any possible form, to contribute to that. So there is always some new artistic creation that can be done, no? And this is, I think, is part of our nature. Yes. I think it's why so many people are obsessed with Italy, including me, because it's this combination of all of the best of life, the food, the wine, the love of life, the art, everything, the love of beauty. It really is so very important. It's great that the tradition stays alive. All right. So you just said... We get so obsessed with the business. And now I'm going to ask you a bunch of business questions. So you just like now made me look like such a jerk. Thanks a lot, Antonio. All right. How has the market been for wine? Do you think that things are getting better? Are people more aware of the wines of Rapinia? It seems like there's still not enough of a focus. And I'm endlessly frustrated by the distribution because I do feel like that's the biggest challenge. We can't get the wine a lot of times. Yeah, I think, I think you're being politically correct. I think the promotion of our wines from a commercial standpoint is quite poor and the international recognition by the consumer, unfortunately, is also quite limited. No? And because after all the things I've been saying and all the nice things you said, I think one of your listeners can wonder why there is no, probably not the wine from Irpinia in his local wine shop. And there is a, because we are still not particularly good and not because we try to refocus between art and wine and both things. I think historically, we have been not particularly effective in promoting our wines. And I think there are a number of reasons. Now, the first one is that probably we have just been bad. But the second <laughs> is that our appellations are limited in size. So when I think about Greco di Tufo, Greco di Tufo in total is 500 hectares. So it's 2 million bottles. So when we think about that, and we were spoiled because most, well, when I say we, I'm talking about the producers of the area, because there was an enormous domestic demand. So we could sell almost all our wines in Italy. So when we started selling it abroad, it was quite late in terms of all the biggest names were already out there. There was enormous competition. And so we didn't get probably the focus and the attention that we could have captured. And I think Italians in general, Southern Italians, even if it's a stereotype, we are a bit lazy. So we are lucky to have an incredible a channel through the Italian restaurant business. So sometimes we stop with that. So you can find our wines in the Italian restaurants in the US, but you don't find it elsewhere. And I think we should really work on that. And we working on that means that we need to continue focusing on quality and we need to endorse our diversity as much as possible. So the more you talk about, you know, the sub-appellation, the sub-zones, because I think the consumer is getting much more curious than what we entitle her of. So we should try to capture our attention in the coming years, and we have everything to do it. The reason that we have not been successful so far is not because we were too complicated. So the answer to this is not to get oversimplification and that, let's say this is the wine of the Romans. I don't think this is really the answer. Oh, I think I, the, that would be a terrible idea. Yes. Exactly. So, but, but some print is, is mentioned, all these kind of ideas. So the more... If PDA is too complicated, three varieties. No, I think complicated is good. As far as it is good, it is diverse. It has a reason to be complicated. And it is also complicated in a way that the glass is different from one wine to the other. So there is a reason behind the complexity of the region. I think, unfortunately, Italian wine in general 
is way too complicated between varietal appellation. But at the same time, this is also the beauty of it, that once the consumer wants to learn, there is no end and it can learn many things and explore the history, the varietals, the terroir, everything. So I think that we need to continue working on that. And I think this is where we have not been successful so far. This is also where, as a community, we have not been working together as we should have, because I think that when the pie is small, sometimes you focus more on your share of the pie rather than enlarging the pie. And sometimes this happens when it comes to the business. So I'm still optimistic because there is an incredible coverage. And okay, with you now, we're talking again about European today, and probably you will be doing with other producers in the, in the next months or in the next weeks. And they think this is promising because there is attention. Because when someone who is an expert in wine comes and visits, he wants to talk about it because it's an hidden gem and he wants other people to learn about it. So I think we have a highway in front of us, but we should continue working. It's hard work, but we should not lose our DNA, which is a DNA that is not simple. First of all, it's almost like Burgundy. Burgundy is incredibly simple in the sense that it's Pinot and Chardonnay and some Gamay and Aligote. But it is incredibly complex once you get into the details of it. And I think that's pretty much the same thing that you're saying. You have three main varietals and within that, so much diversity. And that's why people get obsessed with places. They get obsessed with places because like you said, they can go down the rabbit hole and get lost in it. I think the thing that you have better than Burgundy, frankly, is that you have real people there who are working so hard and are accessible and open to talking to people and showing their wines and being very proud. And I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know. I mean, you would know better than I, but it just seems like you are the only winery that really has, you and probably Masha Berardino have taken the opportunities offered. It seems like right now white wine is on the rise, right? Also wines that are off the beaten path are on the rise. You've got all of the components, terroir-driven wines, historical wines that people really love. And it seems like exactly what you're saying. It's an open field for you. But it is a little bit frustrating for me because I've loved your wines for so long, the wines of Feodi and also the wines of Erpina for so long. And yet I have to order them from New York. I can't get them locally most of the time. You are a leader in the region. You're the biggest winery. And I do want to actually make a point here also about that. You are a big winery, but you are not an industrial winery. Can you explain the difference between that? Because I often talk about big wine, but I'm really referring to industrial wine. There are, not in Campania really, but there are industrial producers of wine. What is the difference between an industrial producer and a big wine producer? There is a very obvious difference when it comes to investment behind. And now I talk mm -hmm. about my personal heritage now, because in a way, you can do industrial quantities of wines being artisan in approach. So separating every parcel, having small stainless steel tanks for every parcel, and then blend them everything together. This is something we do. So in a way, even if you're not industrial in size even, but you can do large amount of a, of a Falangina or a Greco by, by adding the same approach to the small producer would do multiplied by a factor of 10 or 20. Or you can fully be industrial and capture at every possible extent all the economies of scale. This is the biggest difference. But there is a difference that is more, for me, deeply rooted in our region. So it's impossible to be industrial where we are. 
because first of all, there is no mechanization possible of the vines. Secondly, the sides of every vineyard is very, very small. Third is that the heels are very, very low. Fourth, all these varietals, they are quite sensitive to diseases. The viticulture is tough, so you really need to work hard in the vineyard. So there is no way you can capture the economies of scale there. We were lucky because we got our development happened in the right time frame, and there were good choices made by my father and my uncle back in time to become the largest winery in the region. But the approach has been the one of a small producer that grows inside progressively. So that's our approach. That is every increase in, and by the way, we are stable in, in sites. We've been stable over the past 10 years, but every expansion that we do is mostly done through knowledge rather than just volume. And so when we buy a new vineyard, we buy a new vineyard that we already know what is going to come out of it. And it's not because we're going to increase volume, but because it's going to give us an additional parameter inside the winery. It's a really important distinction, especially in Italy, because again, not to pit regions against each other, but Veneto has industrial wine production. Th those big Pinot Grigio Cavit is industrial wine production. There's some Chianti producers that do industrial wine production. They are not thinking of the things that you are thinking about. And I do think that there's a very important distinction between large and just making wine to make wine. And we're moving towards a, a stage right now where people don't want that mass-produced stuff. And I just saw Treasury is closing down one of their big plants in Victoria, in Australia, because the demand for that low-end wine is going away. And I think that that's a great thing, that to scale something in a thoughtful way is very, very different than just making wine and to not think about it. So getting back to this, you are a leader in the region, not just because you're big, but because you're you. You are very dynamic. You are incredibly Thanks. open <laughs> and friendly. You are a really good leader. You're very well liked in the region. There's never a bad word about you. You are the leader among a lot of producers. They really, really respect you. So does it sometimes feel like you're alone though out there just because you are so dynamic and you are really in it? You have done everything that you can to get Feodi out in the market everywhere, not just in Italy. Uh, no, I don't feel alone. I feel, by the way, dynamic. Thanks. I made many mistakes as well, but that's the beauty of, of it. That's, that's called try. being human. Sorry. You I know you make you're almost there. perfect because you, with your CV, yeah, remember, we know how freaking smart you are. So you can't get away from that. Sorry. That's why I did no, the no, CV. No, 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 no. So you could not no. do this, this whole... No, no, no. I made mistakes in particular when I started in wine because it's very different. I told you from the previous experiences I of had. I, mean, I don't feel alone because... I think everybody struggled to get the region out. Everyone, at the extent the size of the winery allows us to, at the extent their own experience and opportunities for making the wines travel around the world gives anybody the opportunity to. So everybody's trying to do their best. No? So I don't feel alone. I think that we need to lead. So honestly, I always think that we need to do more. When you tell me that, I'm very happy. But when you tell me that, you also imply that the consumers are not aware of these wines as much as they should be. This is mostly my responsibility. So I always think about that. This is not because I want to say, you know, nice words here or politically correct words, but I think I, I really feel a responsibility to lead the system 
And I feel the responsibility that when a bottle of my wine comes to the US, this is the single shot that we give to the appellation sometimes to be appreciated by the consumers. Because maybe Feudi or Mastroverdino or Teradora, a few wineries can make the journey. And they should be ambassador for everyone. I honestly think that I could do more, way more for the terroir. And it would come back to me because there is no great winery without a great terroir and community around it. We are an incredible community and terroir for the values, for the people, for all the things, for the history, also for the vision, for all the people, things we spoke about. But I think we are not recognized by, even by the wine connoisseurs, we are not as recognized as we should be. And this is my responsibility to do more. I will do more in the future and you will be hearing about it. Well, also. I will do anything <laughs> I can to help you Thanks. do more. <laughs> I think the consumer base is there. Every bottle is a great ambassador that makes it here. And the region's pretty small. There isn't a whole lot of bad wine that comes across. It's just, where is it? I think that's more of the problem. Anyway, right now, do you feel like your biggest challenge is getting that recognition for Feodi? What do you think about and what are the big challenges now that we're past the three-year bad times and we're moving into another phase here? What's your challenges and what are you excited about? The challenges, yeah, we spoke about that. The challenges for the winery and for the region is to get high recognition. My biggest hope would be that in the future, if you open a wine list in New York, we get Italy before France, at least for the whites, and we get Campania before many other regions in the order <laughs> of the yeah. page. If yeah. Today, if you go to Milan, Milan, and I'm not talking New York, the Campania wines come at page 60 of a wine list of 80. Oh of gosh. course, they, start not, they can claim they start not to south, but believe me, it's Tuscany was in the south. They will start with Tuscany anyway. So <laughs> there's a lot of things we need to do. And my hope is that when my kids are going to come over and replace me, hopefully soon, because I want to retire, even if my kids are <laughs> seven and nine. So I'm fortunate. Your have kids to are a little young for that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty young, but they need to bring their visions pretty soon because they have, you know what? Some of the greatest ideas are coming from my kids, actually, because they are naive. The people yes. are naive. They don't know they what you dreams. can't do. Exactly. They have dreams. So there is, a, I'm not saying that they give you immediately applicable recipe, but they give you dreams. They give you ambitions. Now, I remember the thing I'm telling you about the wine list is that I remember we were in a restaurant and my oldest told me, is there a wine that you produce in this restaurant? And I told him, yes, but we're going to try something else because this is what daddy does. Now, first of all, it's not nice to get to a restaurant and drink your wine. So it's not nice. <laughs> Secondly, you learn something, so you try something else. And he told me, okay, show me where the wine is. And so then I turned it pages, pages, pages. I said, oh, daddy, it's almost at the end of the wine book. So basically, it was very, very, very sad. And he told me, actually, he didn't want to say, daddy, I'm deceived. No, so he didn't tell me that. But his face was telling me, dad. How the hell your wines are at the end of the book? No. And so I told him because at the end is where the story finishes and you have, you know, the happy ending. No, but this was <laughs> yes. really well, bad because I lied to him because they were at the end because nobody cares about my region as it should care. So my biggest hope for the future is that in particular for the whites, because we haven't been talking about it, but I think on the white in particular, we have a region that is one of the few regions worldwide that can make a difference because... And for me, Huge. it doesn't mean that is bad, but there are so many good red wines out there. There is such an established tradition about red wines that it's more challenging. I think on the whites, 
we can be in the front page of a wine list in New York, and we should True. be. True. We should be. So that's my buy hope for the next, let's say, 20 years when they t- come over and I can retire. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely true that, well, you know, I love Fiano more than anything. It is one of the best wines in the world, hands down, could compete with any other white on the planet. And it can age and it turns into all of these really interesting things with time. I do think that the tide has turned a bit. It just seems like, especially in the U.S., I don't know how it is elsewhere, but people are very, very interested in whites. It's a great time for white wine. So I do think that you can do it. The issue is getting the wine in front of people. I don't think that the issue is quality. I don't think it's even lack of recognition. I think it's just getting it in front of people because once you put it in front of people, I've told you this before, anytime I pour a Fiano for someone or recommend it. I have never heard bad feedback, ever. I've heard, this is my new favorite white wine. Where has this white wine been? Blah, 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 blah. I don't think that's an unattainable dream. I think you're going to get there. Yeah, my, let, my let, let's try to do it. I'm sure that people don't criticize you for the choice of your wines because, you know, they cannot do it anyway. But, oh my uh, God, they're happy to. No, uh, that's wrong. No, no. <laughs> they're, they're happy think, to tell me. Because I can knowing take you, it. I think you make good choices of wines anyway. But, I do, um, but, but I can today know if they don't like something, I'm okay with them telling me that. Okay, I'm okay, so okay, fine with that. Good to know. That's good to know. And, uh, but I think let's do this. I mean, we have a lot to do and I think we should make this happen. I'm excited for you. And I think if anybody's going to do it, you're going to do it because you've got the business mind. It's just pulling the rest of the region along with you. I think that's the the challenge is getting more people out there. You're the greatest ambassador that the region has because of your dynamic personality and the fact that you're really willing to do the work. I think it's amazing. You're such a dynamo. Just keep going. That's all I can say. Thank you. All right. Well, so we are going to leave this here, but you are going to come on again and tell us how world domination for Greco and Fiano Feodi wines is going. You have a message that you want to leave the listeners with. I think that I want you to leave the listeners with the message about Irpinia and about your wines of Feodi, which, you know, they have a pretty good shot of being able to get. I think that the, my message is something we spoke about at the end. I think Irpinia wines can really be the best white wines you ever experienced in your life. Okay. Well, you heard it here, listeners. And thank you so much again, Antonio, for joining me. Always awesome to talk to you. And with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.